0: Well, good morning. It is great to be back with everybody this morning. Um, If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Andy Peterman, and it is my honor and privilege to be able to serve alongside everybody here at this church as the lead pastor. So we just want to welcome you. I know we got a large group of visitors and just want to let you know that um, it is an honor to have you join us this morning and welcome. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are finishing up. Our study, that's kind of taken like the last 13 or 14 weeks going through this, and we're going to wrap it up this morning. And if you need a Bible, there's one in the pew back in front of you. The verses will be on the screen as well. And uh, we have technology, so feel free to use your phone. Um, Just don't sell anything on Facebook during this time, please. It won't get sold. It's kind of a deal like that or something, but just kidding terrible joke. So um, if you'll join me, we'll open up in a word of prayer and then we will uh, dive into this. So Father God, we just come before you. And God, I just want to say thank you uh, just uh, for today that we can gather together. And God, that we can gather together under your name. There's so many gatherings going on as it is Memorial Day weekend. And God, there's something special here as we come to be united under the name of Jesus Christ as we come to just grow together in your word and to sing praises to you and to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. And so God, I just pray that as we wrap up the series on Ecclesiastes, as we look at what your word has to say, please speak through me to hearts that are open to hear and God, to respond to what you have to say this morning. So God, we pray all of this in the name Of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to think back kind of to your childhood or younger adult ages because a lot of times during that stage in life, people are just bombarding you with advice. Maybe, you know, we just had graduations, and so people are trying to give you advice on what the best college, Texas, to go to is. Um, You know, they're trying to give you advice on who you should date. They're trying to give you advice on uh, just a myriad of things, the careers, the relationships, the friendships, the houses, should I buy that house, should I not? And so I I wanna ask you, uh, and just kind of think about it, what is the best advice you received? Or or maybe it's years down the road, and it's not the best, but it's that vice that right away pops in your head of, yep, I was told that. A couple things that I was told when I was growing up, first off, is don't eat yellow snow. That is worthwhile advice to be told. Um, Other things I was told is don't spend money you don't actually have. Stay out of debt. I was told to prepare for the future, and I was also told things like always eat your vegetables, which... All of it went in one ear and out the other, but we're, st- not the yellow snow one, that one stuck, I never do that. But we're all given advice, and and a lot of times we look back at our life and we try and think about, man, I wish I would have known not to do that, or I wish I would have known better, and so again, thinking about your younger self, whatever it is, think five years ago, ten years ago, a hundred nobody's that old, um, you know, 60 years ago, what advice would you give to your younger self? What advice, if you could sit down and have coffee with your young adult self or the younger you, what advice would you tell you? Mine would be, don't take so long to marry Heather. That, that's what mine would be. Looking back, it would be like, when she comes to Kansas, marry the woman right then and there. That's like my ultimate regret is that I wasted so much of my life not marrying her, instead dragging my feet. But I had other things like, um, maybe it's choose a different career path, not the one I'm in now, but I spent a lot of money on college and I'm not even using that degree. Maybe it's avoid that relationship, don't buy that house, don't get involved in that, whatever it is, we all would look back at our younger self and we have something that we would advise ourselves to do or not to do. And, and the thing about advice, whenever we're given advice, is you really, it boils down to two options. It's really simplifying it, but you have two options. Listen to it and do what they say, or reject it. Either you hear what somebody's saying and you're like, yeah, that's actually good advice. I'm going to apply that to my life. Or you think, you know what, actually, I'm not going to listen to what you say. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to try and experience this on my own. And the reason that we usually either accept or we reject the advice that we're given really sometimes comes down to the source that is giving us that advice, right? Right? I mean a lot of times parents will just tell their kids something over and over and over and the kid is like Yeah, but you're my parent. You don't understand what it's like And so somebody else comes in and says the same thing and they're like I had this revolution today that I should do this And the parents like i've been telling you that for the last five years and they're like, yeah, but somebody else told me We listen to the advice of some people considering who they are for example, uh if I needed financial advice. I'm not gonna go to somebody who just went bankrupt. Not the best person to take finance advice from. Unless they are telling me these are all the things that I did wrong, and this is how you avoid bankruptcy by not doing these things. And then it's like, okay, you've lived it. I'll do that. I grew up in the country, but I'm not a farmer. By any means I tried preaching a sermon on farming one time probably the worst sermon i've ever preached in my life Yeah, yeah. you should not take farming advice from me if you want farming at ad- farmers listen I'll give you the wisdom right now Get the seed in the ground And then pray That's I I think that that's farming 101 and then just pray you can do everything else and That's what it means to me like I can grow weeds and dead plants, those are my specialties. And so if I'm going to give you advice on farming, you should probably be like, what do you know? And I'll be like, nothing. And then you'll be like, well, we'll just go to like the best guy that we know in farming, Dale Helwig, and we'll ask him and he'll tell us the right thing to do. Because when you are receiving advice, you either have the option to accept it or reject it, but you also consider who it is that is giving you that advice. And that's kind of what Solomon's been doing through this book of Ecclesiastes. He has been sharing his life experience with us, and he's been journaling it down for us. Because he is seeking out purpose and meaning in life, and he is trying to find it in all these things that the world has to offer. And he comes back to the same thing over and over. It means nothing. A real quick, if you haven't ever looked at the book of Ecclesiastes, here is a really quick summary of Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. Over and over, Solomon repeats that phrase, vanity of vanities. He opens up with that in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. And so he's like, you're going to be looking for meaning. You're going to be looking for purpose. You're going to be trying to find, where can I find value in this world? And Solomon's like, I've tried it, and I have not found it. And so when we hear Solomon say that, we're left with those two options. Are we going to hear what Solomon has to say, and are we going to accept it, or are we going to be like, you know what, Solomon, actually, you don't know. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to search for the meaning of life and the value in life and the purpose in life away from everything under the sun, and I'm not going to listen to you. Because C.S. Lewis said it this way, because Solomon, what he's done is he's like, I've looked for it under the sun. I found out there's nothing under the sun that brings me purpose. And so C.S. Lewis, he says that if you are looking for purpose, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we're not made for this world. And that's what Solomon should have come to the conclusion of. I have looked for purpose. I have looked for meaning. I have looked for for value in this world, and it's all vanity. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. And so Paul, he actually tells us that. That when we realize this world is not what we are made for, ever since sin entered the world at the beginning, you know, God created everything. He said it is good. He created man and woman, said they are very good. He placed them in the garden. He said, you may have your fill of everything in the garden. Just do not eat that fruit of that tree. And then the serpent comes along and says, did God really mean that? You know what? God's actually hiding something from you. The reason he said don't eat of that fruit is because he's holding good from you. Because if you eat it, you'll be like God. And so then the woman eats of it and she gives it to Adam who was right next to her. And from that moment on, our bodies have been longing for an eternal redemption. Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, he says creation waits for, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so, Solomon, he's already told us in Ecclesiastes that. God has put eternity in the hearts of man. And then what Solomon has gone on doing from really the first chapter all the way to chapter 12 is he has said over and over, I tried filling that hole of eternity with possessions and it didn't work. I tried filling it with wealth and with fame and with power. And the thing is, it all came back. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Because what Solomon should have realized and what we're going to see in our passage today is there's only one thing that can fill that true, deep longing within your heart. That these other things are like Band-Aids on shotgun wounds, like you can throw a Band-Aid on it and it's like, (laughs) it's healed. It's not really healed. It's a temporary halt, but eventually it's going to start seeping through and what you need is true healing that only God can give. And that's what Solomon comes to the realization of in our passage today. Because again, throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon has really hit on four different overarching themes in his writing. The first theme we've already hit on it. He said, everything is vanity. 34 times in the book, or the letter, he says 34 times vanity. Trying to live morally right. Well, that's vain under the sun. Trying to fill it with possessions, that leads to vanity. Fill it with relationships, vanity. Over and over, Solomon says, I found this and it too was vain. And then 28 times he has this phrase in which he is kind of giving us the theme behind it's all vanity. Under the sun which means that he is looking for it aside from really God. He doesn't have an eternal view. He's living with this, I am born and I'm gonna die and I'm just seeking for how can I live my life to the best during that time? And how can I find meaning if there is no afterlife, if there is no eternity? He's living with it under the sun. It's kind of like he's taking this agnostic viewpoint on it. He acknowledges that there's, there's a fly swarm in me. I showered this morning. I don't know why it's there. But there's this uh, agnostic view that Solomon has, where he's like, I know there's a God, but I don't know what's going to happen after life. You know, the beast, it dies, man, it dies. They both, as far as Solomon is concerned, go to the same place. Who knows whether one goes up and one goes down, or they both go down, or what happens. So it's under the sun theology that Solomon is going with. And then what he, the third theme that he goes with is this theme of just under the sun, if everything is vain, live life to the fullest. Do the best you can do to make this life as enjoyable as you can, because apparently it's all that there is. These are what Solomon is writing about. He says this seven times. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment. He repeats that. There is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toils. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil in which one toils under the sun. Man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of this life that God has given him under the sun. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And so Solomon, again, is saying over and over, if this life is all there is, live it up. And he continues on with that advice in our passage today as we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 8. Because what Solomon is going to tell us is life is short, and so enjoy it while you can. But then he's going to bring it all to a conclusion of this is the true meaning of life. So he says in 11 verse 8, he says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and dawn of life are vanity remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil day comes and the years draw near of which you will say I have no pleasure in them so again what Solomon is saying is that life is going to go fast I mean so many people uh, I've been told we just have an eight month old but people keep telling me don't blink Because he's gonna be walking and then he's gonna be running And then he's gonna be graduating And then he's gonna move out at 36 And you know, uh, maybe later if I have anything to do with it uh, Our basement is always open, Isaiah But you know, like don't blink Because that time's gonna go fast I mean, I can remember just blinking And I was still in high school And now I'm like 17 years removed from high school Life goes fast And Solomon is saying, enjoy it while you can But what Solomon is also saying is he is saying, do it responsibly, live life the way you can. He says that in verse nine, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes. He says, if your heart desires it, if your eyes want it, go for it. But then he says, use discretion. Again, this is under the sun thinking. Use discretion as you do this. He says, for God will bring you into judgment. Because again, Solomon is living in this view of there is still a God and God still has judgment on this earth. And it's kind of like a consequences of life, kind of like a the decisions that you make now are going to carry their consequences. And that's what Solomon's saying. Live it up under the sun, but know your decisions have consequences. Like, for example, when you turn 16 and you and your buddies get a drive in the car for the first time you're alone and you decide to go down a dirt road and pull the e-brake and turn the steering wheel going 40 and you end up in a ditch, you're going to get grounded for a while. I'm not saying that from experience. I've heard it happens to people. But he's saying there's going to be consequences. Enjoy life, experience consequences. I come from the generation where YOLO was a big thing. It stands for you, apparently one other person in the room did too. It stands for you only live once. And so people started being idiots because of that. Because they were like, you know what, I only live once. Let's jump off this building and see if we can fly. There's going to be consequences and medical bills. Like you have to use discretion. And that's what Solomon is saying here. He sees that God will bring judgment, but he believes the judgment is going to be in this life because he does not know what is going to happen after this life. And he says, life goes fast, and so enjoy it while you can. And then he goes on to show kind of this poetic illustration of aging, He says in verse two of chapter 12, he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And so he's illustrating, hey, before you're old. He says in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, talking about hands and arms as you get old, you start getting more feeble. He says the strong men are bent, your legs get weaker. The grinders cease because they are few. You start losing your teeth. He said, those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyes grow weak the doors on the street are shut, the sound of grinding is low, your hearing ceases, one rises at the sound of a bird, you start waking up easily, all the daughters of song are brought low, again you don't hear that well, he said they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way, you lose that agility, going up on high places, you start getting scared, he says the almond tree blossoms, Gray hair, mine has come early. He says, uh, the grasshopper drags itself along. You start walking a little slower. Desires fail. You have diminished appetites. He says because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped Or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to god who gave it All of those are symbols for before your life ceases And then again, he wraps it all up here with how he started. He said it's all vanity vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So again, Solomon is telling us, if you're going to live with an under the sun theology, aside from there being an eternal life, which there is, but if you want to live as if they're not, he's saying, enjoy this life to the best of your ability. I mean, live it up because it's the best you're ever going to have. There's not gonna be any enjoyment afterwards. And again, we consider the source. When we look at Solomon and he is like, I did these things. I had possessions. I built like beautiful mansions and gardens and I had power. I was king of Israel. I had wealth. And we look at Solomon, we're given those two options. Are we gonna hear Solomon and say, you know what, Solomon? I'm gonna listen to what you said. And I'm going to realize that this earth has nothing that will truly satisfy my desires. And so I must realize as C.S. Lewis said I was created for something beyond this world. Or are we going to look at Solomon and say, Solomon, you didn't really live it up. You didn't really experience anything. And say you have like three million dollars in your bank account. Solomon's got a trillion. Don't tell me the guy has not lived it up. He tried it way better than we could ever try. And so to say, Solomon, you don't know what it's like to really live under the sun would be like saying to Tom Brady or LeBron James, hey, you guys really don't know how to play basketball or football. It's like, you guys, you're, you're the greatest of all time at your sport, and yet you don't know what it's like. That's what it would be like to tell Solomon. And so then what Solomon does is he says, this is why you should listen to me. He gives us the reason if you're still like, well, why why should I listen to Solomon? He says in verse 9 of chapter 12, he said, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by the shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so Solomon is saying this, this is why you should listen to the words of this book and realize everything is vanity. First off, because Solomon is the wisest man to walk on this earth aside from Jesus that he had it all. He had the opportunity to ask God for anything in the world. And he said, I don't want riches. I don't want power. I want wisdom to know how to govern your people. And God gave him wisdom abundantly. Solomon is the wisest man. And he said, besides being wise, what I did is I considered the words that I shared. I'm not just out there, you know, talking out of my ears or something i don't know what the saying is but you know i'm not just out there like the only one i can think of is not appropriate but i'm not out there just talking i weighed the words i studied i gave thought to what i had to say he considered deeply the statements and then he also says in verse 11 he says these are Goads, like goads to the ox, in which they lead us and they guide us. And he says, as the nail firmly fixes, so these words will give us a firm foundation. He's saying you should listen to what I say. Also, he says in verse 11, it's because these words are from the shepherd. They are divine authority. He is not just writing on his own. He is writing from words that God has given him, that there is nothing under the sun that will bring us purpose. You can keep looking. And then he says, lastly, in verse 12, don't seek beyond these. Because that's that last one is the, gonna be the one that we're tempted with. Because it's like, yeah, that was good advice, but I wanna experience it on my own. I mean, it's like you say over and over and over, advice to your kids, and then they finally do it, and you're like, why did you do that? Did you not hear us tell you? if you jump off, you're going to hurt yourself. And they're like, well, yeah, but I wanted to experience it on my own. And I never did that, but I'm sure you guys can relate to that. But it's like, we can hear this, but are we going to apply these words to our hearts? Because again, Solomon knows far better than we could ever know. And his conclusion is the things of this world are all vanity. If you seek their meaning under the sun apart from God. Because we're pretty much now left with the question. If everything is meaningless, what's the purpose of it all? What, what is the point? Where do I find meaning? Where do I, are you saying that having stuff is bad? That's not at all what I'm saying. Are you saying that relationships are wrong? Not one bit. As long as we are not finding our identity in those things. That God has blessed us with possessions. God has blessed us with relationships, with friendships, with careers. God has blessed us with those. But when those things that are good become ultimate to us and we um, define our identity out of them, that if any of those things is taken away and we're like, all right, there went all my life, I have no reason to live anymore, then we're making an idol out of them. That's that's what we're being told here. And so Solomon is telling us that those things are good, but we can't make them ultimate. That when we ultimately seek purpose and meaning out of them, we're going to find out it's all meaningless. And then he concludes it all in verse 13. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. I have said it all. This is what it comes down to. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So what do we do with our life while we're here? We fear God. And we live according to his will. Where do you want to find meaning in life? It's found right there in verse 13. Fear God and live according for him and you will be satisfied jesus tells us in john ten ten, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but i have come that you may have life and not just life you may have life abundantly this is the theme that solomon has already hinted at throughout this book it's the fourth theme of ecclesiastes the first one everything is vanity second one It's all vanity because it's under the sun apart from God. The third one is if you're living that way, live it up to the fullest. And then the fourth one is the important one. What you do with your life then is you fear God and you live for him. He said in 314, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. He said in verse chapter 5, verse 7, God is the one you must fear. It is good that you should not be overly righteous or wise, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from them both. Though a sinner does an evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. And then he just said, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of God. That is where you will find purpose. That is where you will find the deep longings of your heart. But there's a problem with what this is saying. There's a a lot of people that have been trying to translate, what does it mean to fear God and a lot of people say that it's like an awe like a reverent awe and that is only half of the story because for example uh, back in March we went to the Grand Canyon and like if you've never been to the Grand Canyon it's it's kind of weird because you drive and there's trees all along the road and you start walking through the trees and it's like okay at some point the ground's gonna drop out and then you, there's, like, you pop out of the trees, and there's this, some would say it's grand, this massive canyon in front of you. And you're just looking at it, and it literally drops out in front of you. Like, I thought, imagine walking in the dark. Before this all was, like, uh, uh commercialized and it became a tourist attraction just imagine walking in the dark and all of a sudden the ground drops out from underneath you and you literally have a thousand foot drop below you and then you look across a couple miles of just beauty like pictures did not do it justice and I was in awe I literally turned to Heather and was just like wow that's about all I have to say right now and I'm not usually short on words but wow I was in awe of the Grand Canyon but there's a problem with using that as a comparison with God that I left the Grand Canyon and yeah I can tell people about how cool it is you should go visit it my life is not changed that did not change one bit how I live my life the fear of the Lord The fear of God should change how you live your life. It's not just an awe. I believe it is a literal, you should be afraid of God. Now, some people that have grown up in the church are like, wait a minute, I thought he loved us. We'll get there. But first off, this word for fear that Solomon uses, it's used 314 times in the Old Testament. It's the word yare in Hebrew. You know how many times that word is translated as awe, as reverential awe not once 188 times it is translated to fear 78 times it's translated be afraid 30, 23 times terrible 6 times terrible thing 5 times dreadful 3 times it does say reverence 2 times it says fearful 1 time it says a terrible act i think that what solomon is saying is that when we look at god We should literally be afraid, and it should change how we live our life. Oh, well, that's Old Testament. Jesus says this in the New Testament. He says in Matthew 10, Do not fear, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. Well, why should I be afraid of God? Because he can kill. Not just the body, but what Jesus says is he can kill the body and the soul. If you are an enemy of God, if you are not walking in right relationship with God, there should be a terror in you when you think of how amazing God is, how His per- and even as believers, how perfect his standard is, and that we can't measure up to it not some taking advantage of the grace of God so that I can keep sinning and living a life in the flesh and not change my life for him, but there should be a literal fear of what God can do. Jesus says, do not fear him who can just kill the body, fear him who can kill the body and the soul in hell because God can kill. And Solomon even said in twelve fourteen, he will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or good or evil, that there's gonna be a day where our life on this earth ceases and we will stand before the great throne of God and we are gonna bring to account everything that we did and it is gonna strike terror in the hearts of those who have been opposed to God. I think this is a problem that even a lot of quote unquote Christians have with God. We do not have a true understanding of the fear of God of God, because I don't think that with a true fear of God, you can have a true understanding of God. I saw this picture this week, and it it made me think, man, that's how a lot of people view God, because the Bible tells us over and over that, that God is like a lion, and so it's like, okay, a lion's a scary thing, until you think a lion looks like that, and I feel like, honestly, a lot of people have that view of God. He's a lion, but he's this goofy dumb not not to be afraid of but more like a cuddly little cat that lion was gifted to king frederick the first of sweden in 1731 one of the first lions to ever arrive in scandinavia the lion passed away shortly after it arrived it was given to a taxidermist the only problem is the taxidermist had never seen a lion before and so he was just like okay i think it looks like that He's way wrong. And so, you know, If imagine being out in the wild and encountering something that looks at you like that. That's like a mix between a dog and my teddy bear. Like, it, it's just that. But a lot of people who don't know who God truly is think he's that. Oh, I don't think God would ever be mad. I, don't, I think God loves me just as I am, accepts me just as I am, and allows me to live just as I am. He's not calling me to a life change. The fear of God would actually have a true understanding of what a lion looks like. It looks more like this. It looks more like a lion charging after you. This one was taken by a photographer named Saheed, who he was on a safari and he saw this lion and he thought, you know what? I'm gonna get out of the Jeep. I'm gonna sit down on the ground and I'm gonna take a picture of this lion. As the lion started to charge him and it got 10 feet from him and he's still snapping away before he jumps back in the Jeep and has to apologize to everybody for the smell that is now coming because he just did something because he was scared because he had a proper fear of a lion. He saw what a lion is truly capable of. When you have the proper view of God, you will have a proper view, of proper fear of God. Because without the proper view of God, you won't have the proper fear of God. And therefore, you won't truly be living for the one true God. This is who Jesus truly is. So often we have him being this meek and mild and timid and almost this like super effeminate, Jesus, who just begs people to do stuff. In Revelation chapter 19, this is what people will encounter if they are enemies of God. John says, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. You see, Jesus is deserving to be feared because Jesus is coming to carry out the wrath of God on mankind. And he will kill all his enemies on the day of judgment. But that's, that's like the really bad news, but there's good news. And it's found in the gospel of Jesus. But you see, without a proper fear of God, you're not going to have a proper view of God. And also without a proper fear of God, you're not going to have a proper response to the gospel of Jesus. If you don't see that when your life on this earth ceases, you will be standing before the throne of God and his wrath will be poured out on all mankind that are his enemies but salvation came through Jesus, then you're not gonna have that proper response. If you don't think that God has a vengeance, he says, do not repay evil for vengeance is mine, that there's gonna come a day where God pours out his vengeance on mankind. And that if we are not bought back with the blood of Christ, if we are not born again, as Jesus tells us in John chapter three, we are enemies of God. And there is a hell to pay, an eternal damnation that faces us. But God sent his son so that we do not have to face that. Jesus tells us through Paul, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us is deserving, myself included, deserving of eternal hell. No matter how good I try and be, that's what I deserve for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And those who have fallen short of the glory of God are deserving death. But God, because of his great love, he shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when you look at the judgment throne of God and you see that God is the great judge, and then you see that we all are guilty and we all are deserving of hell no matter how much good we try to do it puts a fear in us so much so that paul tells us he quotes isaiah who says that at the name of jesus every knee will bow no matter how strong you are no matter how rebellious you are you're going to see jesus on the day of judgment and you're dropping to your knees Whether you accepted him or not, you're going to eventually see him for the God and the Lord that he is. But you can also be made righteous through the work of God. You can be in right relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God shows his kindness to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But as Solomon tells us, the fear of God keeps us walking in obedience. Because he says the end of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments. Without a fear of God, you're not going to keep his commandments. If you don't see who God truly is and what God truly is capable of and what God did for us by sending his own son to die on the cross so that I don't have to burn forever in eternal hell, which was made for Satan, but that those who reject God will spend eternity. If you don't see all of that and you're just like God's up there and I can live life how I want, you don't have a true understanding of what it means to fear God. Without a fear of God, you won't keep his commandments and live for him. With a fear of God, you will live for him and you will walk in his ways. And when you do that, you find the purpose, the value, the meaning that your life has been looking for. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's like 178 verses. And it has one central theme throughout all 178 verses. There is joy in the commandments of God. There is joy in walking according to God's word. Over and over, 178 different ways, David or the psalmist is saying, I have found purpose, I have found value, I have found joy in keeping God's word. The fear of God keeps you living for him. And lastly, it does it even when nobody else is watching. Because you realize I'm doing this not for man. Do not fear him who can kill only the body. I'm doing it for God. And he always sees. He's the one I'm living for. So that even when there's that decision, say, you know, a banker is sitting there and they're crunching your bank account and they accidentally transfer and they put one too many zeros on, or actually in my case, it'd be like six too many zeros on there. So they're putting a million dollars in my bank account for me. And I look at that and nobody would know. And it's like, you know what? I'm rich. And nobody would know, and I won't tell anybody, I'll just drop a couple extra grand here and there and just be like, yeah, I'm rich. I don't know, but I could get away with it. If I don't fear God, I'll just be like, let's do it. Let's live life up. But because I fear God, and because it's actually stealing, and it's not the right thing to do, I'm going to do the right thing that even a million dollar life decision is worth being made to live for God and keep his commandments because that million dollars is not giving me purpose. It'll give me a bunch of stuff that will break down and thieves will steal, moths will, break, or moths will destroy, but my treasure isn't on earth. My treasure is in heaven where thieves cannot de- steal and where moths cannot destroy. So in conclusion, Solomon's telling us everything under the sun is meaningless, but he is saying in the fear of the Lord, that's where you find meaning. And you should fear God because God is the one who can ultimately kill, but God will kill all those who remain his enemy, but Jesus died so that we could become his children. And he died for because he died for us, we live for him. God can and will kill everyone, but he gave his only son so that I don't have to die. Jesus took the price that I was supposed to pay. He took the price that you are supposed to pay. So that if you believe in him and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul tells us you will be saved. I want you to hear that God will kill all who choose because he's given us the way to eternity so we choose our destiny we choose to remain his enemy but Jesus died so that we could become his children and because he died for us we therefore live for him and when you live for him you enter into a new relationship which means fearing him And walking in an intimate relationship with him, wanting for nothing to compromise that relationship because it is the most important thing to you. As Solomon has shared, there's a lot of things that are gonna try and pull us away. We're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus. We're gonna live in the fear of God and we're gonna keep his commandments no matter what it costs because this world has nothing to offer me and Jesus has everything to offer. This world plus everything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Real basic math for you. Jesus has everything to offer us. The only thing with meaning, Solomon says, the end of the matter is at hand, it's all been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Father God, I thank you that I do not have to pay the price for my sin because Jesus did that on the cross. I thank you so much for that. That because you have opened that door, we can walk through it and be set free and find life anew in you. And so God, I pray that there's a lot of people here this morning, God. And there's more that are gonna listen online. And God, I just pray that for those who have not given their life over to you, that are not living in a true fear of you and walking in your commandments, God, work on their hearts the way that only you can. God, I pray that you send your spirit upon them to convict the world of their sin and help them be pointed to you so that they may be born again to a new life that has no end, an eternal life found in you. God, I entrust it all over to you. I just pray that you do the work and help us respond to what you're calling us to do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Amen. And I'm about the same age as Andy, so I understand the YOLO. That's why I chuckle a little bit. But in all terms of, you only live once. You do only live once. And if you could get a little bit of above the sun theology, that is theology of God and mind and fear of the Lord from the Apostle Paul, tells us in Colossians 3, everything that you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. The best wisdom you're ever going to hear is to live your life for Christ. You have an opportunity to do that this morning as we stand and sing. Number 490.